You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Today's innovations are tomorrow's possibilities. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, sometimes it feels like the ETF space doesn't have a whole lot of white space for new products. Yeah, basically everything's taken up. I mean, we're living in a world where there's a pet care ETF, video game ETF, you name it, quantum computing. There's now ETFs for things that I don't even know what those things are. i got to go research them. So, yeah, there's really hardly any more ideas uh, here on planet Earth. So maybe instead of looking for white space, people need to look for real space, black space. And leave Earth. That's what we're going to spend this what are we hinting at talking here? about here. <laughs> space, the final frontier. Literally the final frontier. There's a race going on with companies. You've got the Space Force you know, coming into play. And now there's ETFs that are sort of trying to... Uh, get ahead of that and, you know, see if they can appeal to investors' imagination and hopefully get some performance while they're at it. And this was another episode where we uh, decided to outsource it <laughs> to the ever-intrepid Rachel Evans at Bloomberg News, who actually went and talked to people who are involved directly in this space. Yeah, this one lent itself to field work because there's it's a whole industry and a lot of people don't know a lot about it and how legitimate is it. And she found some characters. <laughs> some really good she characters. Did, yeah. This week on Trillions, the ETF space race. And that's when it happened. That's when we first heard that they had come. That's when we should have prepared ourselves for any eventuality. But we didn't. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Space. The final frontier. Just the mention of it conjures images of Ewoks, Ziggy Stardust, and every sci-fi book you ever read as a kid. What if your grown-up self could invest in the cosmos just as easily as the US stock market? That's the mission for a clutch of new and planned ETFs that want to take investing out of this world. To find out more about this new opportunity, I headed to the Hayden Planetarium in New York's Natural History Museum to meet Christopher Kramer, a PhD student at Brown University and an expert in Martian rocks. The lady on the desk said I could go straight in with a yeah. Cool, okay. thank you very much. Hello, are you Christopher? Rachel Evans, Bloomberg News. How, how are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all, thank you. This is cool. Christopher was in town to host a 3D tour of the Red Planet. But first, we sat down, deep in the bowels of the museum, to chat about the types of companies doing business in space. There's been pretty extensive commercialization in, in the realm of, of low-Earth orbiting satellites. Or just uh, There are various commercial satellites, artificial satellites that orbit the Earth that are the foundation of various communications technologies that we use today and um, 
there is a big push through the miniaturization of satellites to make it even easier for various public and private interests to deploy their instrumentation of choice, their hardware of choice, into Earth orbit. And so there are huge profits to be made, and I think that there are huge profits being made in that, in that realm right now. Even as many of us in the US now stream our favourite shows, these satellites beam TV into millions of homes around the world. They're also responsible for positioning technology, like the GPS in your car, and ensuring that everyone agrees what time it is at any given moment. Space, Christopher tells me, could also fuel new industries, from tourism to mining asteroids for precious metals. It all sounds pretty far out, so I went to meet Andrew Channon, whose firm Procure AM is one of those planning to start a space ETF. I asked him to tell me how he got interested in space. So starting off in the ETF industry in 2007, working for an ETF specialist firm, we were seeing a lot of innovation in the ETF space. We were kind of past that first phase where the low-hanging fruit products were already taken. So space was always one of those things where, looking back, yes, there were satellite companies and aerospace companies and defense companies that were kind of tied into this broader theme. Really, we started seeing so much more public interest in space over the last several years. Originally, in our early days, it was really a government effort, and governments wanted to plant their flag figuratively and and literally on showing how they were the best and that they can say, we're going to put a man on the moon and they can do it. And I think that was one way to, to bring the country together, but also just show what we're capable of. At a certain point, governments realized that it's good for us to do this, that we can you know, rally our, our, our citizens around it. But does the government really need to be the one coming up with all the solutions? And through that realization and paving the way forward with regulations, it's made companies more comfortable in trying to expand their business futures into space as well. So really, and very strongly in the last decade, we've seen a a huge shift where there's a significant amount of investment capital going into the private side, not the government side, where wealthy individuals, the, the Bezos, Bransons, and Musks of the world, putting their own money where their mouth is and trying to create their own solutions. But some of the things that they're trying to do actually help out the government. Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson, and Elon Musk have all very publicly pursued their own space programs. But the broader space industry also has bags of potential. Morgan Stanley estimates that space could generate 1.1 trillion of revenue by 2040, up from about 350 billion today. Recently, NASA invited nine companies to bid for contracts to land on the moon, just after successfully landing a probe on Mars. But the space industry could also get a boost from another dimension. You look at the universe and how, how abundant it is, and it makes people think that you know, there's a high probability that we aren't alone. And if we aren't alone, you know, all of those could spring some very new growth potential in the space industry itself. So do you think there are little green men on Mars waiting out there or, or some other type of intelligent life? I don't know where intelligent life is or what they may look like, but... 
I certainly would not be surprised if at some point, whether we're, we're told or we actually experience it for ourselves, that, they're, that we're not alone. And you know, I think all that makes, makes everything you know, that much more exciting when looking at space as, uh, as an actual industry. What happens when we do meet uh, ex- extraterrestrial life? Well, we could become great friends and buddies with them and we could work together and we can learn their technologies and make our systems even better and completely transform our way of life, whether it's on Earth or via using space systems and networks. Or what happens when extraterrestrial life absolutely hates us and doesn't want to get along with us and they they want our planet or they want to erase us. Well, in that case, we're going to need a lot of defense spending. Those are two completely different paths, but ones that would show very different futures for how investment in space might might proceed. So how does that translate into a fund? Well, it depends who's designing it. State Street is the only money manager currently out with a space ETF. Its Final Frontiers Fund, which also buys companies involved in deep sea exploration, allocates about 50% of its assets to aerospace and defence companies already found in an existing fund. Andrew Channon can't discuss the inner workings of his fund, as it is still seeking approval from the US regulator. But a look at the index his fund plans to track suggests it will likely allocate almost two-thirds of its assets to communications and consumer-focused firms like Garmin. A third space ETF, with its own methodology, is also in the works from DWS Group. I wanted to learn more about these differing approaches and whether investors could feel misled if they discovered their space fund was full of everyday names. So, I spoke to the man behind the index that Andrew's fund intends to use, Micah Walter-Range. Micah previously worked for the Space Foundation, a non-profit that supports space activities, and partnered with S-Network Global Indexes to create the benchmark. I think it's largely a matter of the story, um, of explaining to people. Many people don't even understand that GPS is an important component (laughs) of their cell phones and the other systems that they use on a daily basis. Even in the financial industry, probably most people don't understand that the timing of the global financial network is governed from space. So, you know, understanding just how intimately involved space is in our daily lives is something that I think actually does get people excited when they realize that we have all of these wonderful things because of space. A number of the companies in the index are actively engaged in exploration. They're building the technology. They're putting together the systems that will be used to send robots to other planets, to send people deep into space. If you're investing now, that's what you can look forward to seeing in the future. The other part is a lot of people are excited about some of these new space startups, but um, these companies that are trying to do different things from um, what has been done in the past or doing them in different ways. Now, many of these, of course, are not publicly traded, not yet. However, they often have partnerships with the current companies that are publicly traded. And so when you invest in those companies, you're also, in a sense, investing in those partnerships. And for those of us who are not Silicon Valley venture capital firms. (laughs) It may be the only way. That all sounds compelling, but I'm no expert. 
Do these funds pass the test? Are they spacey enough? I asked Christopher Kramer, the Mars academic, to take a look at the companies that Andrew's fund will likely buy. So I have a couple of um, lists of companies that are proposed to be in um, a couple of ETFs that are going to be being launched. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, these are all all very familiar. Um, And a lot of these, I mean, just looking at these, a lot of these are earth-orbiting satellite companies. Do do they seem like space companies to you? I mean, obviously AT&T is kind of a telecommunications company, really, but... I mean, if your if your criterion is just that they, that they have deployed some of their corporate hardware assets beyond the edge of Earth's atmosphere, then I would say, yeah, that that's a pretty low bar for entry. But I think it's the only really realistic criterion that you can use in the year 2018. So I would say, um, yeah, absolutely. If you did decide to kind of add to your portfolio, um, and buy, uh, you know, sure. an ETF. Um, would you consider buying a space ETF? Would that be something that would appeal? Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I would, I would be cautious only if, uh, only because, I mean, I feel like that'd be like putting my all my eggs in one basket, sort of thing. Like, I mean, I mean, I'm already invested in space in one way, and I don't necessarily want to. Maybe I want to have like a backup plan in case, in case like the bottom falls out of like <laughs> space exploration. But that's not to express any sort of doubt in in the. Um, in the value of these sorts of investments. So if I were doing something different and my goal were to make money, then I'd see no reason why not. You just don't want to lose your job and lose your money at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. (laughs) You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Okay, so that was amazing. First of all, little green men. Yeah, look, this is what stuck out to me is Andrew Chanin sort of, and I just watched this whole thing on Netflix about like the edge of the universe and whether there's other life. And I love that he sort of said, yeah, you think aliens are nice? This will make money. You think aliens are like fearful and will take over Earth? This ETF will also make money. I thought that was awesome. Andrew's really upfront about the the fact that, you know, he's been interested in space for a very long time. You know, he's seen the movies, he's read the books, you know, this is an area of interest. He actually has a bet going on with his in-laws about where and when little green men actually arrive on this planet. Oh, what's that bet? What's it... This is the thing. He could actually tell me the details of the bet. He's like, oh, I'll I'll have to go back and uh, look at the details. But uh, there is a bet outstanding between him and his in-laws about when we actually uh, get aliens on Earth. And and so, Rachel, what was your takeaway from from really doing this little bit of a deep dive into uh, space ETFs? So the big takeaway for me was this kind of gap, um, both in terms of ETFs and in terms of space generally, between what's kind of possible now and the potential. Uh, so you have at the moment satellites are kind of the, the sort of the big space industry that's out there. Yet there's this potential for asteroid mining, getting at kind of precious metals in lumps of rock in space. You could be potentially seeking water from from asteroids or even from the moon. Uh, There's the potential for space tourism. All these incredible, almost crazy sounding ideas are potentially possible in the future. But actually accessing those ideas now is very difficult because so many of those companies aren't public. It also gets exactly to this private public thing where something like SpaceX, which is you know, I think the third biggest venture capital backed uh, company in the U.S. right now, and and is has been highly successful for Elon Musk and company, but yet is not you know a public company yet, so few people can actually see returns on that investment. Yeah, and I think that's really an issue with thematic funds generally. Is that 
how early can you get into these kind of themes? You know, is uh, space developed enough as a concept to be able to invest in it? Now, the funds that are out there now sort of suggest that, yes, you can, because you can buy you know, satellite companies, you can buy some of the sort of early stage rocket development companies that are public. But it is quite a thin field. If you look at kind of the, the number of companies that are in these funds, you're looking at around 30 or so. Whereas when you compare that to you know, an S&P 500 fund, for example, that clues in the name, you have a significantly more diversified set of companies. How does that square with you, Eric? Yeah, so when I think of theme ETFs, exactly that. I, I look at how much are of these companies are just in run-of-the-mill sector or S&P ETFs. And here's um, the Spider Space ETF. So breaking it down, 73% industrials, so it's heavy industrials. 50% of that is aerospace and, and defense companies. So it looks a lot like XLI, but more like ITA, which is the iShares Aerospace and Defense. But it does have only 3% overlap with the S&P 500. So if you do own just sort of like the S&P, you're probably not getting a lot of space or military spending for that matter. And it's got about a 50% overlap with ITA, which I thought it would have more overlap. So I don't know, it's kind of past my overlap sniff test, I guess. And it's about the same volatility as a sector ETF. But if you're looking at correlations, it's going to be 95% correlated to ITA, but only 83% correlated to the S&P 500. So it adds a little diversification. So uh, it's better than some that I've seen, but pro- there's others that I think are even more uh, in, in this sort of smaller niche area of a, of a fledgling industry. This one does have some big stocks like Boeing and whatnot. The really interesting thing, though, from a differentiation perspective is if, if you look at the cost. Now, that is something where you really do see a gap between something like the S&P 500, which you can get for four basis points, total stock market for three basis points. These funds, uh, the cheapest of which is going to charge, well, does charge 45 basis points. There's a, a fund in the works from Deutsche that will be coming out, or DWS, as I think they're now rebranded, that will look to charge 50 basis points. And Andrew's fund will look at 75 basis points. So when you think about that uh, versus, say, three or four basis points for your broad S&P 500 fund, you can certainly see that there's an advantage to coming out with these thematic products from an issuer perspective. For investors, yeah, you're going to pay a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. This is sort of like the new active. These are ways to sort of roll the dice and try to do a little better. And also you can understand them, right? They capture your imagination. Speaking of that, Andrews is the most expensive, I guess, on the list, but his ticker is so freaking killer UFO. I mean, he's the guy who came out with Hack, which is, you know, top two best tickers ever. UFO to me, what's the spider one again? It's XKFF. Oh, God, that is so bad. (laughs) UFO to me, if, if they all start outperforming and have that sort of nice performance moment, I bet UFO does a little better simply because of that capturing of the imagination. Although the spider one is 45. It'll be cheap versus sort of, uh, you know, flashy. And this is another example where, you know, we have one product that's already out yet, UFO not out yet. So what's that going to be like when it finally does maybe come to market, right? Yeah, and the same with the Deutsche product, which also has a pretty decent ticker. They're looking at Galaxy, G-L-X-Y, which, you know, it's not bad. It's kind yeah. of it's up That's there. pretty good. Yeah, I think the State Street <laughs> one's interesting because they're trying to, to draw that connection with their existing uh, sector-based products. So hence, you've got yeah. the X at the beginning. They're trying to align it with those other kind of sector uh, spider ETFs that are out there and suggesting that this is a new type of sector. How much were people willing to talk about sort of just getting this real estate now so that if this economy which is, you know, there's there's certain projections that put it up close to like a trillion dollars over the next couple of years, 
that this will be a place that we see this extraordinary growth. So just by having that ticker and getting there first, you're basically building the house that you'll put furniture in once the the company is uh, come to bear later. Well, a bit like the real space race. It's all about planting a flag, right? Yeah. You want to claim something for yourself. You said yourself. that much more eloquently than I did. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but I think, that's, I think it's very true. And we've seen it time and again in, in the ETF market. If you are first out there, if you have a catchy ticker and can kind of get some real estate, then the assets do kind of flow in if you see some performance. I mean, that's going to be the big sort of test to these products as they kind of evolve. You know, are they able to adapt to the, the direction that the space industry goes? Are they able to, in their indexes, incorporate these new companies in an yep. efficient manner and then actually capitalize on that to, to show performance? You can almost just see there's like one dynamite IPO that happens at some time in the future, whether it's SpaceX or somebody else, and it just totally sweeps um, all these ETFs up with it. Again, when you post that there's a space ETF filing, you tend to get some snickers on Twitter. There's definitely like, it sounds gimmicky, like, oh, what are they thinking of next? But let's face it, um, Merrill Lynch had a report, which you mentioned, I believe, that the industry- Morgan Stanley. Morgan Stanley, sorry. <laughs> that could hit um, $3 trillion. It's up from $350 billion today. I think Merrill Lynch also had a report, and there's art. I Googled it. There's articles on these, and they're all written very legitimately. But for some reason, you take that idea, put it in an ETF, and people sometimes think it's like a, a scam or a gimmick. But the people you talked to were dead serious because they work in that industry. Yeah, I was actually pleasantly surprised by that. I mean, with, as a journalist, I come to all these things pretty skeptically and, and you know, sort of trying to pick holes in these things. I actually was quite impressed with like how much potential there is for space because it does sound like this kind of wackadoodle idea when you kind of like mention it to people. I think the issue is still going to be, can you put that into an ETF? And that, I think, is still kind of an open question as to whether these funds really do represent space. But they do seem to at least attempt to represent it as it currently is. And I think that's going to be the kind of question for these funds and going if, forward. If we're really at the beginning of a new space age where there's little micro rockets that can propel right. stuff, like who knows where this goes? So, Did people you talked to kind of know what an ETF was when you said you're an like, ETF reporter? They had, they know that or do you have to go to like, it's like a mutual fund that trades? Yeah, no. On the on the whole, people were fairly savvy about ETFs. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting chatting with the, the guy uh, Christopher Kramer, who is at the Martian rock expert. I mean, he's you know a young guy. You know, he's in in his mid twenties, uh, studying uh, you know these kind of very spacey things. But you know, he he's still kind of you know, has friends that are interested in ETFs and, and understands what they were. He didn't currently own any himself. He had a few mutual funds, index mutual funds. Um, but he you know got the idea of an ETF very quickly uh, and was able to kind of you know think about how this might work in that sort of instrument. Rachel Evans. Thanks for another field trip on Trillions. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you'd like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. And Rachel is at Rachel Evans underscore NY. Trillions is produced by Magnus Henriksen. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcast. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. 
Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.